that we meet, God. We want to be a church and a people that are known for loving you and for loving our neighbors. God, we continue to give our hearts to you in worship this morning as we open our ears, as we open our minds, as we open our hearts to hear your word. Would you speak mightily through Will this morning, God? Would your Holy Spirit just flow out of him and help us to receive, God, exactly what you want for us this morning. We love you. We're here for you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks, Nikki. That was a great job with announcements. We've got a lot going on, obviously, as you can tell, as a church. And so if you're, if you're not already plugged in and you need a way to get plugged in, there's a lot. So just um, somebody can help you figure out what you can do. And you, you, everyone in this room has gifts to offer and ways that you can serve and connect and, and advance the kingdom. So I want to start out by thanking Kyle for asking me to speak this morning. Um, and uh, he, he did ask me to talk about wrath. And so if you have a problem with that... Your problems with Kyle, but uh, but we're doing he's doing this series, the enemy, and it's been it's been really good. And and one of the things we're going to do this morning, and I've got something special we're going to do first. But but what we're going to do, and what Kyle's done that I've really appreciated is we're going to look at the life of Jesus and see how he handled anger and wrath. And so before I get too much into that, I want to start with something special this morning. Um, we had a, we had a, a fabulous Club Fifty Six minister, Kaya Coleman who worked with our fifth and sixth graders with that ministry, and she taught their classes and planned activities. And she moved away to Texas to become a children's minister. And so we needed some help with that age group. And I thought, well, I could pitch in a little bit. And the thing that so many of you know, and that I've experienced again is, is multiple times in my life, anytime that I, I give and, and try to offer something to God and bless Him, He blesses me back so much more in return than, than what I thought I could do. And he's done that uh, with Club 56. And so I'm going to ask these guys, come on up here, guys, uh, Club 56 guys. They're going to share with you this morning. And so uh, this is really, yeah, give these guys a hand. Give these guys a hand. Yeah. So, yeah, if you'll grab that mic and give it to Roan. So, right. so here's one thing I try to do. Kaya had taken them through the Old Testament and as a parent of a fifth grader, I got to, got to witness this and be a part of it sometimes. And she took them through the Old Testament and taught them that God was really seeking to have a relationship with his people. That's what he wanted with the law. Was not, it wasn't rules for them to follow. It was that he wanted a relationship. And then he sent Jesus. And then they studied, once they understood that concept of relationship, they studied the book of Acts with Kaya. And she taught them the story of the early church. And she, she left and went to Texas before they got through the book of Acts. So Emmett's mom, Miss Jen, and myself kind of helped get through the rest of the book of Acts. And then I asked these guys, I said, what do y'all want to study next? What, what do we need to learn in our, in our Sunday morning class? And they said, you know, we would love to know. We know about the Old Testament. We know about Acts. We'd love to know what all these little books are towards the back of the New Testament. And I said, well, great, let's study New Testament epistles. And so one of the things I do, maybe every four weeks, maybe every six or eight weeks, it just kind of depends but we, we'll have a, a class where we just review and we go over the concepts that they're learning. And so they're going to share with you some concepts that they've learned. These aren't things I told them to say. These are things that as I was saying, hey, what did we learn from 1 Corinthians? What did we learn from Philippians? These are things that they picked up on. Before we do that, we have a very important, important statement. This is a very special young man to me. Roan Dixon and I have an agreement that every Sunday in class, 
he gets to share an ant fact. He knows a lot about ants. And so he's going to share an ant fact, or maybe two, and then we're going to review what we've been studying, and then we'll get into our lesson. So, Roan, take it away. Did you know that there will, there's a species of ants that's entirely blue? Like just that's entirely, entirely blue? Entirely blue. All right. You want to do one more? Yes. All right, let's have it. Let's have this it. This one is a bit longer. It's long? That's okay. That's all right. We got time. I don't think anybody's leaving. Okay. So, there is such thing as a zombie ant. When it comes in contact to a certain fungus, it becomes a zombie ant. It climbs up a tree, bites a leaf, and then it waits till night. And when night fall, and when it's night, the fungus grows, and, and then it falls to the ground. And whenever and any ant that comes in contact to the fungus becomes a zombie ant. Wow, I didn't know. All right, yes. All right, Emmett, this is one of the questions that we talked about. How many letters did Paul write to the church in Corinth? Well, Paul mentions that he wrote a previous letter to the Corinthians that we do not have. So there are at least three letters to the church at Corinth. All right, very good. This one being the second. All right, Sam, what was one of the big issues Paul was writing to Corinth about? Y'all step up just a little bit so we don't step all over Mark's guitar back here. I don't want him to... All right, Sam. Um, so one of the big issues in Paul's letters was that the churches in Corinth um, were disagreeing about who they should follow. And when it was come, time to worship, they wouldn't really be worshiping Jesus. They would more be fighting over who should be preaching or leading the church. Very good. Mac, what was another issue he wrote to All Corinth right, about? So another issue Paul had with the church at Corinth was that they were still on spiritual milk like spiritual babies. And he said that they needed to be on spiritual meat, and they needed to keep growing in their faith, and there weren't. And we talked about, with all these things, we talked about how they apply to us. And we even looked at Paul later in his life. He was still growing spiritually. And so we talk about how these guys, myself included, and all of us need to continue to grow spiritually. You never get there. So, Colin, what else did he talk about? Paul talks to the Church of Corinth about being careful not to eat food sacrificed to idols if it is around someone who would be offended or caused to stumble by this action. We talked about how this applies to the beyond and how this will be a concept we will encounter throughout our lives. So it pretty much means that if you like to do something that someone thinks it's wrong, don't do it. All right, Atticus, I love this one. This one is really cool, so why don't you share, everybody, what you've thought about. Uh, So when Paul is writing to the church in uh, Corinth, He's much more frustrated and has a more frustrated tone. But when he's writing to the church in um, Philippi, he has a much more um, excited tone and he calls them partners in Christ. But still, uh, they both, he both tells them to grow spiritually. All right, Levi, what did we learn in Philippians? Sum it up for us. Um, so this is uh, Philippians 4 um, through 10 through 13. I rejoice gratefully in the Lord that at last you renewed our concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. All right, very good. All right, give these guys a hand. And that's Corbin on the end. Here you go. All right, y'all just sit down. Get out of here. Get out of here. Good job. Man, we, we talked about, and you can really tell the, this difference in tone when you read 1 Corinthians and Philippians. I mean, you can feel Paul's emotions, as Atticus mentioned, that he's excited about the church in Philippi and their partnership with him, but he's frustrated with the church in Corinth. And the other thing that Levi just read to us, and, and it, it, it ties into the lesson this morning, and we're going to sing about it later, is that right? we can be content in all situations. We can do offering things through Christ when we, when we truly live a Christ-centered life, we can be content, we can do all things. Uh, and so it's so important for us to do that. But let's get into wrath this morning. And we're going to look at a few scriptures, and, and the scriptures should be up on the screen. Some of them are fairly short. But, um, but what I want to do first is sort of define wrath, because I just want us to have sort of a, a baseline definition to work with. And then I'm going to go from there and kind of paint with a broad brush. But let's get to this definition of wrath this is just this is from the wonderful trusted source of Google, and so uh, Google is not the Bible, and I'm not certainly saying that it is. But this is what Google says: wrath is. It is strong, vengeful anger. Okay, and as I talk this morning about wrath, I'm going to talk about anger. We could talk about losing our temper, right? About things blowing up. We're kind of lump all that together. But strong, vengeful anger, and I think if we read our Bibles, we understand that that is God's. To pass out, right? It is not up to us to deliver wrath. That is for God to bring about at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. But but strong, vengeful anger is just you took something from me and I want it back and I'm going to come get it back and I might even take more than what you took from me and make sure you get hurt in the process. That's what I think of as wrath. But anger's not too far from that, right? And we're going to talk about this this uh, this. One way we handle anger, right, is if you come at me and say, I can't believe you did that, my immediate knee-jerk response is to go, I didn't do it, I can't believe what you did, right? And I've matched your anger. And so now you've got to get a little bit angrier. And when you get a little bit angrier, then I'm going to meet that or exceed it. And, you're, and, and it's just this, it just blows up, right? And so we're going, to, we're going to talk this morning about a better way to handle our anger. We're going to talk about a better way to do it. We're going to talk about the Jesus way to do it. And what I, what I want to focus on, and you're going to see this, it, and we're going to look at two different accounts of it here in just a minute, but there's really only one time that Jesus got really angry. And I want us all just to sit with that for just a second, right? And, and anger is a God-given emotion, okay? So I'm not going to say this morning that we can't or shouldn't get angry or that it's always bad, but are we too quick to get angry sometimes? Do we sometimes go to that? And we're going to talk more about that. But look at what Jesus does here in Matthew chapter 14. And I think this will be up on the screen. There it is. This is right after John the Baptist is beheaded, okay? So, so Herod has a big party, and his, his wife's daughter performs for all his guests, and she does so wonderful. He says, I'll give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. And she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And he didn't want to do that, but he felt like in front of his guests, he had to write. I mean, what man isn't going to make sure his guests are approving of him and happy with what he does? And so he 
does this for her. And look at what Jesus does when he hears about this. Jesus heard what had happened. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus could have gone to Herod's palace. He could have busted through the door. He could have lined Herod up, his family up, his children up, and he could have said, I'll take vengeance and I'll take it now because I'm angry because you've killed my cousin. But look what he did instead. He went to be with his father. He went to say, Father, how would you have me handle this? What would you have me do, God? How would you have me react to this situation? And so one of the things I want us to look at this morning, because I think it helps us deal with our anger, but I want us to look at the anger of others and how we respond when people come to us in anger or maybe even wrath, right? How do we respond when somebody blows up? How do, we, how do I respond when somebody loses it on me? What's my reaction? Is it, I'm going to match their emotion? Is it maybe, man, maybe if I really go off at them, maybe they'll, it'll, it'll send them running, right? Maybe I can out, out intimidate them. They're coming at me. I'll, I'll take it up a notch. Or do we want to do what Jesus did and go to the Father and say, Father, how would you ha- have me handle this. And the other thing that I think is huge for this is I don't think that this was something Jesus chose to do after the fact. I think this was probably something he thought about beforehand, right? We've got to think about how we're going to react before the situation gets there. This isn't just with anger, right? This is with any situation we face. This is with anything we deal with. Let's, let's get to the, uh, to the temple. Jesus, two times, we're going to read two verses. We're going to read Mark's account of this and we're going to read John's account, which he, he just opens up. John chapter 2, he's like, I'm going to tell you about the time Jesus cleared the temple out. We're going to talk about that right now. So we're going to look at both of these. And there's two different things I want to pick up on from each version. And so in Mark chapter 11, listen, there's an important detail at the end here. But it says this in verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So after he drives them out, he begins teaching. He must have had some control of his emotions to be able to then begin teaching. But look at the response. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Here's the thing we need to understand about anger. Wrath, anger is usually rooted in fear. Usually when somebody is anger, right, it is coming from some feeling of fear or some feeling of inadequacy, right? Maybe I want more power than I have. I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to lose the power that I have. And so I have to intimidate and threaten to keep what I have. You see it right here. The chief priests and teachers, they, they don't want to lose their power. Jesus is more powerful. They can see it. And so what do they do? They become angry and they want to kill him. And so often... If we, are, if we are willing to look, man, why did I become so upset? Why was I enraged? What was it? And, and maybe if we turn the mirror inside and go, okay, maybe it's something with me that I need to work on. 
Maybe it's, it's something. It's, it's, and, and so we see it right here with the Jews, with the leaders in Mark chapter 11. And I think it's a huge thing for us to think about. And I think it's something to, to the, an honest question to ask when you experience someone else's anger. Are you afraid? Sure, that's a natural reaction. But can you ask, I wonder why he or she is so upset. I wonder if there's some pain behind that. And if I can in some way help with that pain, rather than just meet them with anger. Let's look at John chapter 2. John tells the same story. He tells it a little differently. Starting in verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. You think he had time to think about his anger while he was making that whip? You think he thought about why he was upset, about what he was going to do with that whip? And drove all the temple area, both for both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Now, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I want us to be real careful here. This is not a license for us to act out in our anger, right? Man, Jesus got mad. Jesus flipped some table. Let's go. Man, Kyle, let's go. Let's get, let's get some stuff done, right? Who's with me? Now, the, the flip side of that is, is it okay to be angry? Is it okay to even feel kind of that wrathful feeling when we, when we see injustice happening in our world, when we see people who are marginalized, when we see people who are put down, when we see people who are not accepted? Is it okay? I think it's a good thing if you feel that inside of you a little bit. And if you sit with that, and if you talk to you, cry out to God, God, how could you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? Why would you let these people suffer? Why would you let my family member go through this? Why would you let that family experience this? Why don't you have an answer, God? That's an okay place to be. But then what we have to do with that is show up and get involved, right? I was talking to Kyle about this the other day. We got a lot of nonprofits we could get involved with. Man, there's a lot. I mean, you can write a check. You can give money. You can volunteer. You can do, I mean, and lots of times we in our society, hey, if you need something, let me know. No, when you feel that feeling, when you see that injustice, it's not time to say, hey, if you need something, let me know. It's time to show up and say, hey, I am here to help. Hey, I did this. Hey, I found this. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's, next, there's, there's food drives. There's next gen. There's one gen away. There's um, all kinds of things we can get involved with, mission work. So there are ways that you can show up and do something and not just be angry. And that's what I would encourage you to do with your anger. In this case, it was okay for Jesus to clear the temple. Not a bad thing. 
But that wasn't about doctrine. That wasn't about who was worshiping in what way. This was literally the house of God, and he didn't like what was happening in the house of God. And so I think we need to, to look at what he did and look at his example and then say, okay, what can I do to make a difference in the world that we live in? But it may not look exactly like what Jesus did. I want to uh, look at one other scripture, and this one should be up there as well. John chapter 8. You think, what in the world does this have to do with anger? I'm kind of asking that question right now, but we're going to read it and see. So, John chapter 8, verse 2 says this At dawn he appeared again, talking about Jesus, in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Now, think about this. These are the teachers who are angry with Jesus, right? These are the teachers who are afraid of Jesus. These are the teachers who are trying to kill Jesus because of their inner fear. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. We know their motive. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, I love they kept agging at him. He, he, he's doing his own thing. And they are still going, they're trying to get to Jesus. They've got a trap. They've got it figured out. This is going to be the moment where they get him. And he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and rode on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus is in a situation here. He's got an angry mob wanting to trap him. He could have matched their anger. He's smart. He could have put them in their place. He could have gone back at them. He didn't do that. He could have said, and this is interesting, I kind of just realized this this week. He could have said, you can't stone this woman. I, get, let, let me protect you. You cannot touch this woman. He didn't do that. He said, okay, all right, go ahead. You, stone, you want to stone her? Go ahead and stone her. Think about it. That's what he said. He said, go ahead and do it. If you want to kill her, go ahead and kill her. But there was one caveat that he offered. Let it be those of you with no sin. What an interesting way to respond to this situation. I would hope Jesus would get in front of me, would say, you know, like Captain America, I hope he would he'd have his shield. He'd get, he'd get behind me. I got you right here. You don't have to worry about this. But he didn't do that. He said, yeah, guys, go ahead and do what y'all want to do. But here's the, here's the one thing you need to think about before you decide how you want to handle this situation. What Jesus displays for us here is a, a term that I learned several years ago called a non-anxious presence. Back in, and I'll tell you this real quick. I'm going to try to wrap up and get us out of here. But back in... 2004, I went to work 
at the Berrius Chapel Church of Christ, which is just up the road here, not very far, as a youth minister. And our, our minister there at the time was a man named Jerry Barber. And Jerry was so smart. And I learned so much from him. And he taught me this term, non-anxious presence. And I just want to read you the definition rather than try to go into all the details and describe it. But it just says this, a non-anxious presence, this does not mean that the person is uninvolved or unemotional. And that's what I thought it meant at first, that when a situation comes to you, you just don't respond emotionally. And that's not what it is. Your presence in the situation precludes that. You have to respond to the emotion, right? The question is, how do you want to do it? It means that amid panic and chaos, you remain cool and calm, assessing the situation and offering perspectives and solutions that are effective and helpful. I think as I, as what it means to me is I'm not going to internalize this situation, right? If you're mad at me and you come to me, I can go, man, I must, something's really wrong with me and I really messed up or you must, I mean, what, what's wrong with me? No, I'm going to look at the whole situation. Is part of that looking at me? Sure. And, and did I do something wrong? Sure, maybe I did. And maybe I need to apologize for that and try to make that right. But I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to figure out what's going on and I'm going to assure the other person, hey, I want us to find a remedy here. I want, us to, I want us to walk away from this in better standing than what we are right now. And maybe that's not in the next five minutes or even in the next 24 hours, but man, I hope we can, I hope we can fix this thing we've got going. I hope we can make it better. That's what a non-anxious presence does. I want to ask Mark to come on up, Mark, and he's, he's going to start playing as I kind of finish up my thoughts with you this morning, and we'll sing a song together. Um, there's a term that has just, God keeps putting before me here lately. I want to talk about it for just a minute. And that term is warrior. What does it mean? I've been spending a lot of time, and I want all the men to listen to this, and ladies also, please listen. But I want the men to hear this. I've spent a lot of time lately thinking about what it means to be a warrior for God. And I think it ties directly into this idea of wrath and anger. Because men, if we want to be warriors, if you want to be a warrior, you have to learn to control your anger and control your tongue. You have to learn to think about how to react instead of just flying off the handle. Intimidating, being loud is not the way to be a warrior for God. Sure, it might bring power. Sure, it might get you a type of respect, but maybe not the kind of respect you really want. Are we acting out of fear? Are we threatening others because we feel threatened? What I believe makes a warrior is a man who is completely connected to God's calling in his life completely connected to what God wants him to do and willing to stay connected to that calling no matter what it takes. Sure, sometimes that may mean getting angry and getting upset and doing something. And at other times, when it feels like you want to get angry, it's doing the exact opposite and it's staying calm and it's trusting God and his power and his faithfulness to take care of the situation. So we're going to sing a song this morning. We're going to stand up, but I just want to challenge us all to be warriors for God's kingdom.